As a contractor, you know commercial roofing is an amazing opportunity that rewards hard work. But you also see huge issues emerging, like finding time to bid jobs, hiring motivated employees, rocketing insurance fees, and rising lead costs. On Season 1 of the Roofing That Pays podcast, experienced contractors will share their secrets to what's working in the exploding commercial roofing industry. Welcome to Roofing That Pays. Welcome back to another episode of the Roofing That Pays podcast. In today's episode, we will visit with Paul J. Gingrich, a successful contractor from Missouri. Oh, and it's good to be here. I uh, appreciate you uh, just giving us the opportunity to be on here, and, and I look forward to our interview. Let's start, go way back to maybe your growing up years. What did your family do as an occupation? You know, what kind of environment did you grow up in? Uh, how did you get into running your own business? Because I know you had a business prior to getting involved in commercial roofing. So how did you end up in that business and, uh, and what did you do there? I grew up on a little farm outside of Carrollton, Missouri here. My dad, he was, he was not a farmer, so he had us boys do it. We actually enjoyed it. It was back in the day when there was a lot of little dairy farmers all over the country and my dad was one of them. When I was 15 years old, my dad decided that it was better that we'd get rid of the dairy cows. We would start focusing on doing something in the line of some production type work. We sold the cows. Dad bought some equipment and we started making some landscape steaks. My uncle also put in a sawmill. He recruited us guys, worked there during the day. And then we worked, went home and we worked making landscape steaks in, in the evenings rather than doing chores. So that's kind of the environment I grew up in. And 2008, nine came around. The economy went south. We were on our own by that time. I mean, we were 21, 22 years old, me and my brother. And we were working for my uncle. Things were really bad. I mean, we were working 10 to 15. My uncle was wondering what we were going to do next. And we had the opportunity to come up some of the log suppliers. He was looking for somebody to cut his own logs. He told us, you put in the sawmill. He said, I'll bring you the lumber. So while we lost 25 percent, 25 to 30 percent of the lumber industry went disappeared in 2008, nine. These guys put one in. It was it looked really backwards. It was kind of rough for a few years. We cut logs for him. We processed them for two and a half years, and then we branched out on our own. We did pretty good at it. When we decided that we were going to move to Colorado, I found a job doing the lumber again. But there was a transition that happened in me between being employed by somebody else and being previously being employed myself. There was just things and atmosphere going on in that operation I didn't like, and it just ate me up. There was just the things of people having a bad attitude. I mean, this one guy even kept constantly, you know, saying, well, he don't care. He said, uh, we can come back tomorrow and finish it when they could have finished it that day. I mean, it was just, they were goofing around. It just ate me up. Let me go back into touching on the sawmill experience you had there. Give us an idea of the size of the sawmill. I don't know how many guys were working there or how many board feet per day or, you know, revenue numbers, or is there anything you can give us on just what size operation you had uh, before you ended up moving to Colorado and uh, quit the lumber industry? In revenue wise, we were right at seven hundred thousand for the first couple of years, 
And then after we branched out on our own, we were actually buying and processing. We were at 1.5 to 1.8 million. And then I think the last year we were running it, we were at 2.5 million. It was not a huge operation, but it turned a lot of dollars. There was four guys in the operation that ran it. Plus me, I was buying the inventory. Then you moved to Colorado, being you didn't have the sawmill anymore. You started working for someone else, and that's where you ran into some of these issues, you know, with coworkers and so forth, and decided to look at having your own business again. As far as the commercial roofing, what intrigued you when it came to commercial roofing, roof coatings business? What intrigued me about the roof, the, the roofing industry as a whole was we've had some background in, in construction because we grew up in the lumber. So the roofing thing wasn't like something was that was totally brand new, but it was brand new. And what intrigued me about it was just the opportunity to have something that doesn't have that was kind of more of a low investment getting into, but it also had the potential of uh, making a really good income. Not a lot of overhead, not a lot of employees. I mean, if you look across the roofing industry as a whole, in the residential part of it, uh, there's a lot of turnover that goes on in those places. That's one thing. I'm not a guy that likes to have a lot of turnover all the time. Turnover is actually hurts your business. Employee retention is what you want. Sometimes it's hard. You have to let a guy go. But then again, you want to do your best. If you have good employees, it will show up on the job. If you have employees that don't care, it's going to show up on a job. So employees are very important. Doing this type of restoration work really allows me to kind of keep your hands involved to make sure the process is done correctly. And that eliminates a lot of problems. If you get spread out too much and you lose that, you will have some warranty problems. You'll have to go back and fix. And whenever you have to do that, I mean, that's costly to, I don't care who it is. And they were already there. They could have spent 15 minutes and not had this happen. In other words, with uh, commercial roofing and especially with roof coatings, you've got enough margin available that you can make a really good living without having a huge amount of employees is basically what you're saying. Yes. Yes, that's right. You then ended up moving from Colorado back to Missouri. Anything you'd like to share about that? When we moved back to Missouri, half of the revenue for that next year was actually in Colorado. Uh, there was still projects we had uh, given some quotes on and proposals on that we actually got. And so half of our revenue came from Colorado that year and half came from Missouri. It was basically having to start over in Missouri. One of the things that I found the difference between Colorado and Missouri was there's a lot more buildings in Missouri than there is in Colorado. So that gives you the opportunity to grow in Missouri is actually better than in Colorado, but there was actually more revenue involved with projects in Colorado than they are in Missouri is okay. because of competition. Okay. Yeah. Not quite as many contractors for the square miles, probably because in Colorado, a lot of projects are a little bit spaced out compared to Missouri. Yes. Plus the projects are spaced out, but there's also the people actually know each other out there a lot better than they do here because of the population. Let's uh, dig into some of the struggles just for our listeners so we can learn, grow, get better at what we do. In the last several years, is there anything you'd like to share that you would do different, you know, that we can learn from today? 
there's actually three things I think that's very important that you watch all the time. That's marketing, profits, and cost of if you buy a piece of equipment and you actually take out a bank loan on that, you want to make sure that you have enough work for that piece of equipment because you can actually hire somebody to do it for cheaper than owning the piece of equipment if you don't have enough work for it. We bought a phone trailer, which we went and bought a Cadillac phone trailer. It had power jacks on it. It had tanks. It was a Cadillac phone rig. The work we thought we had coming for this that was between a verbal agreement, it never materialized. So that left us having to make the payments on a phone trailer that we weren't turning a revenue from it that we had anticipated. That leaves you having to pay for something that's costing you money at that point because, or for that year, if you don't run enough dollars on that piece of equipment. So that's a, that's a thing that you want to be considerate of. And the second thing is profits. If you don't know your numbers and you think you're making this much money and you don't really know, you're actually shorting yourself. So you need to be a, able to track those numbers and you need to do it accurately and you need to do a quarterly inventory and do a statement. And the next thing is you got to watch for is in marketing. I, I redid my website three times. I mean, you lose money every time you have to redo it. So hiring somebody to do it right the first time, you might have a little bit more of an investment up front doing it right. But if you do it right, you will actually save you money over the long haul. Plus, you'll get more better leads, better quality leads, generating leads. They're all expensive. So you need to make sure that whatever you do is actually bringing you the results that you want. Let's dig into the numbers a little bit on uh, marketing. What all do you track? I mean, lead source, uh, jobs sold, bid. What all do you track when it comes to tracking like your marketing versus revenue, open jobs, things like that? If you track your jobs, for an instance, you know how many leads you get. You know what those leads were, were they, you know, what type of a building we actually categorize them out into like a one, two, three, four, and five because we want to know the importance of that job to us. Every job is important, but some jobs are bigger than others. We track the size of the job. We want to know what the dollar amount of that bid was because the more that bid, the higher the dollar amount on that project, the more the importance of it goes up to us because there's a dollar amount associated with it. What makes you want to follow up with that person? You want to serve that person to the best of your ability. If you don't track those numbers, then you won't know. You want to know where that lead came from because as you're tracking it, you know it's coming from your website or is it coming from a direct mail piece? Is it coming from a cold call that you did? Is it coming from a, a referral? As you track all these things, you can start seeing where most of your leads are coming from. And as you track those, you'll be able to know where your money should go to. If you track your marketing, what you did, and you know where the leads are coming from, you can know the ones that you need to tweak or to change. Maybe change something and see if that works better. What is your biggest lead producer or a couple of the ones that you use to produce leads? There's three main sources I get my leads from. We do a direct mail campaign. We get a number of those. Then we also get a number from our website. And then we have a lot of referrals. Have you noticed anything in referrals, the quality of the lead being better than leads coming from website or direct mail? I, I love referrals because if you have a referral, you actually, your chances of getting that project is just way up. 
there's a credibility that comes with it when you're referred by somebody and they give you a call. It, it just changes the game drastically. Give us an average of time between when someone calls you for a proposal versus uh, the time it takes to actually get the signed contract. Is it fast in commercial roofing or does it take a long time? What are your thoughts on that? There is a percentage of them. They call you, they are ready to do something. But there's a percentage of them that are tr- looking to put something in their budget. And some of them, they're just curious how much it would cost them to do it. And then they figure out that it's not what they want to do. I usually find during the year of the, all the leads we get, you close, let's say, one out of five. And then you'll close a percentage of those will close the next year. And some of them you will not get for a couple of years. For one lead, for an instance, I'm thinking of right now, we actually bid this project over two years ago, and it's now just come through. So you buy your commercial roof coatings and materials from Conklin. Can you share with us why Conklin? I really love Conklin's products. They're easy to work with, and but they're quality. We know without a doubt when we get that product in, it's going to be good. If there's a screw up on that project, it's not going to be Conklin. It's going to be us contractors, your employees or somebody did something wrong. It's not the company's fault. Plus, with the national contractors group and just being a preferred contractor and just having the opportunity to rub shoulders with those other preferred contractors, you learn so much. You learn little tricks. The little tricks make a big difference, and it's the little things that lead to big things. And so I enjoy every moment of those contractor trips that we take. And we get to be a small part of it. We just enjoy those and we learn so much. There's so much value and energy that goes on in that place like that day. It's unbelievable. So you mentioned the preferred contractor title. To earn that title is pretty significant. How did that make you feel when you earned that title for the first time? It was a goal we had and we had ran hard for it. It made me feel really good. I felt like I hit a, re- a major milestone. But then again, there was something that it did inside me of knowing that I can do this. There's just something that it was it was literally like it triggered something. And I asked myself, why did I believe it was this was going to be so hard? Once it's a goal and you go after it, there's something that happens when it's something that you don't know if you can do it and you get to do that. There's something that happens in you that grows. It was a really good feeling. And yet there were, it was kind of a, it was a humbling feeling in a way. Just being able to, to know that the company actually wants you to succeed. They give you a, a discount, a product discount. If you hit, if you are a preferred contractor with them, that tells me something. I mean, that's something that they are excited to see that you have invested this much money with them and they're willing to give you and uh, an edge having that proper margin just a little bit bigger. They know that as you grow, you have other expenses, and that just helps fill that crack. And the second thing is we get to go on them preferred contractor trips, and just being around those other contractors is just it's a, it's awesome. I mean, the food's great, fellowship's good. For something to do while it's cold and being on the beach somewhere, putting your feet in the sand is kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in wrapping this up, what would you tell yourself if you could go back five years or for someone new that's 
interested in getting into commercial roofing or starting their own roof coating business, is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you would share with someone like that? There is not a better opportunity to get involved. You want to be teachable and you want to listen to your upline. If they can't help you, they know somebody that can. And there's so many people that would be willing to help you. If you're not teachable, you can do it, but you're exposing yourself to their blind spots that you can't see. So being involved with your upline director and just asking them because they they see other contractors, they work with them daily. They know the struggle, uh, what they could face if they do certain things different or not do it, or they do something they shouldn't do. So if they would just communicate when they have a question, some of us get really enthused about something and we just go out there and we uh, do it. And then we later we will ask ourselves, why did we buy this piece of equipment? Like we prematurely bought it. So there's things like that. I believe that if just working together gives that person an edge and advantage, he can hire a coat and that can be really expensive. And the coach is still not directly involved and doesn't know as much about it as what the guys do right in the field. I just don't see how another company could have any better benefits. You've shared a lot of great things here, Paul. Where do you see your company in five years from now? Well, I just see in five years from now, as we grow out, there's things that in five years from now, from today, that's going to be very different. One of the things that I see happening is the roofing industry is just, it's a booming industry coming out with the new TPO product. We're going to be getting into new construction. There is no better chance to get involved with the commercial roofing industry than it is today. I just see ourselves growing and some of the struggles that we have today will be gone. Oh, and I actually don't think I even have any idea how big it's going to be. We kind of get in our heads that we kind of know, but we actually don't know until we, as we go along, because as you start growing, I mean, you can grow, if you grow 30% every year, that's a lot. For the lightning round, is your favorite roof product either coatings or membranes? I actually like the coatings best. Is there a favorite app you use in your business, and what would that be? Job Nimbus. What's your favorite book, besides the Bible, of course? Choose to Win. Choose to Win by Tom Ziegler. And the last question, if you won a free trip, would you rather go to the mountains or to the beach? Depends on what time of the year it is. I actually like the mountains. If I had to choose between one or the other, it'd be the mountains. Today's guest was Paul J. Gingrich with SLV Roofing Service, a commercial roofing and roof coating contractor from Missouri. If you'd like a copy of the show notes, resources, and links, simply visit the episodes page at roofingthatpays.com. Thanks for listening to Roofing That Pays. Before you go, can we ask a huge favor? The biggest thing that helps spread this message is when you rate and review us. That tells the platforms we're doing something right. Take a moment to rate and review us at roofingthatpays.com slash review. That's roofingthatpays.com slash review. Thanks so much. Until next time, do more Roofing That Pays. This episode was hosted by the Max Potential Podcast Network. Find more great shows at maxpotential.com.